the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now from Studio A, he's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. From Northern California, it's Lifeline with Andy Froyland. Hanging out here in the Northern Command Studios, A3, A I guess. I don't know. Jarrell, what is my studio? A3? T- B1? B2? I it's the studio with the big picture window that has a commanding view of the Trinity Alps. And I'm happy. <laughs> Hi there. It is Lifeline, Andy Froyland, again uh, from, uh, from the uh, northern climes of California, coming to you again here today on Lifeline. In, uh, in lieu of a, a one Mr. Craig Roberts, who's probably still trying to figure out how to put his newly acquired Christmas gifts together. And what kind of batteries they need. <laughs> oh, he's probably sleeping and enjoying the rest is what he's probably doing. Hey, we've got a really good show lined up tonight. And I'm excited to bring it to you uh, because it taps into a couple of things that uh, all, that I really appreciate. And uh, they're close to my heart. And one of them, in fact, my first guest tonight, is going to be one of those guests who is going to, uh, well, for me, it was a challenge. Because prior to, oh gosh, it must have been eight years, nine years ago now, uh, we had Dale Black join us on the program. And you know me, I, I tend to be a skeptic from times. Now, now my, my glass is usually half full. I'm, a, I'm an optimistic kind of guy, but there. Quite frankly, there are stories out there of near-death experiences that I think, oh my goodness, really? That I think, oh my goodness, really? You're going to try and pass this off as serious? They just don't fly. They're fanciful. And in fact, we've seen on the back end of a couple of them recently how they're manufactured. They're made up because... Well, Daddy wanted to make them up and get some money, you know. Uh, I've always been suspect of near-death experiences, and I've even taken to task right here on Lifeline in years past a couple of folks who have tried to pass their experience off as legitimate. Uh, and they just don't they don't line up with Scripture. At the end of the day, I've got to be held like Martin Luther, captive to the Word of God. Here I stand. I, I, I can do no other, Right. Uh, Dale Black came along a few years ago uh, with his experience, and it gave me consi- uh, serious pause to consider. Okay, well, all right. This this lined up with Scripture quite a bit. Um, and then I had another dear friend of mine, uh, and, and, and I have known him for years, and we've had him on the show talking about it. Uh, who had, uh, uh, and, and I, I much rather prefer his statement as opposed to near-death experience. He calls it a near-life experience because really, as a Christian, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> that's about as close as you get to eternal life uh, without having the fullness of it and coming back again. So it's near-life experience. 
And what I found fascinating when I spent time with this friend of mine, Peyton Jones, Newbreed Church Planting and all that, his story, while there were unique differences to him, still reeked of the same story that Dale shared with us uh, several years earlier. That fascinated me. Fast forward to the book I've got in my hands, Imagine Heaven, and the author, John Burke, and it all makes sense. And what I've appreciated about John is the fact that he is able to walk you through this and walk you through the minefield and help explain and clarify some things. Even though you may have subtleties in in the storyline, the foundation of each story is always consistent and true. And that helped me a ton because they do happen. Near life experiences happen. They do. We've got it in scripture. It is biblical. Paul, whether in the body or out, I don't know. All I know is I was taken to the third heaven. So, Weeding through all that became very important for me, especially as I tried to grapple with this thing. And not only that, if in fact this is true, what does it do for the Christian? How how does the Christian respond? Well, Dale and Peyton, the two friends that I have, I know how they've responded. Try and stop them in ministry. I double dog dare you. Try. (laughs) It ain't going to happen. It's like they've been set on a course with blinders, and there's just no stopping them. They're freight trains. They're locomotives for Christ. The ministry drive they have is super, super normal, paranormal. It's, 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 it's heavenly energized bunny rabbit, I guess. I don't know. All I know is, is you can't stop them. Now, here's the other litmus test. Swing it back to yourself. All right. I, uh, you know, you, you, you hear of these stories and they go on about their business and you think, well, did that really change them? Well, it didn't, man. I don't know about you, but if I stood face to face with Christ, uh, for a few minutes in the afterlife, I'm not going to be the same. And John's book will bring this out as we talk to John here in just a few minutes. Uh, things change when you, when you have an encounter with Christ. Uh, and they change for a lifetime. So the next question then I have to ask is, as as somebody listening to a story such as this, uh, I sit and I converse with Peyton, my friend, or Dale, about their experience. What does that do to me? Does it fire me up? Or do I just sit there and go, oh, gee, I wish I could see an angel. I think I'm going to go buy a a, a a little porcelain angel because it's it's just so wonderful. What does it do to you? What does it really do to you to hear these stories? Does it energize you in the same way? I mean, as I read Paul, whether in the third heaven, I don't know. Whether I don't know. All, here's what I do know. And as he lays it out for you in Corinthians, his experience, I, I, I don't know about you, but I get energized. Anyway, John will join us here in a few minutes. His book is called Imagine Heaven, and he's chronicled hundreds of these stories. All right? So this will be fascinating. Hour number two, Stephen Williams. Another one that, that, here's another issue that I'm passionate about. Uh, Schooling my children. 
Do we do public school, private school, Christian school, home school? For me and my family, it's kind of a hybrid of uh, Montessori and homeschool. Uh, but how do you navigate through public schools? Because uh, quite frankly, you know, kids come, kids come home with some things that they're saying, not, not, not only what they say from what they've heard from fellow students and other teachers, but they also end up with this idea that the teacher knows more than me, the parent. And somebody has just usurped my authority over my child. Man, that's scary stuff. Talking to my wife the other day about this. You know, what, what's the chief concern that we have about our children in our schools? Losing the authority as parents over our children. Uh, not having control over the environment our children are in. So how do you answer all of that? What do you do with that? Well, good questions, right? We're going to pose those questions to Steve Williams, uh, and his book, Navigating Public Schools, in hour number two. Now, that is all straight ahead here tonight, if you'll stick around and join us. And uh, I pray you do. It's Lifeline, Andy Froyland in for Craig Roberts. Let's take a quick time out, head over to the KFAX Traffic Center, and take a look at that commute of yours first. And now, back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And the Lifeline Express continues on here. As mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, John Burke is my guest today. It's his book, Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future That Awaits You. It can be found just about anywhere. It's a Baker book, so they're they're pretty easy to get a hold of, whether it's uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever they put ink to paper or uh, uh, digits, uh, I's and O's to your computer, you can pick this thing up. John, welcome to Lifeline. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, thanks, thanks for having me on the program, Andy. Uh, the book deals with, and it sounds to me like this has been a fairly long process for you. Uh, you got fascinated early on by near-death experiences, or as a dear friend of mine put it, near-life experience. Uh, what yeah. Is, yeah, what is it that got you going on Imagine Heaven? What what kind of finally well, tipped I you mean, over? Yeah, I mean, it started years ago when I was a teenager and my dad was dying of cancer. And um, I was not a Christian. I, I didn't know what I believed, um, except in the next party. That was about it at that right. point. Uh-huh. And, um, but, you know, death was knocking on our door. And I, I saw a book that someone had given him on his nightstand. It was the first book on near-death experiences, the one that coined the term near-death experiences. And I read it that night cover to cover. And at the end of it, I said, oh my gosh, Jesus, you're real. Hmm. And I want to be with you when I die. And that kind of set me on a a path of, I was invited into a Bible study the next year, and I really understood what God did for us through Christ and grace. And over the last 30 years, you know, I've been studying the scriptures adamantly. I mean, I went to seminary, I have launched uh, a church, other churches, and I've also, for 30 years, uh, read and studied about a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. And so I've, I've always been curious of, of how do these reconcile with the, the afterlife that the scriptures talk about. And so in Imagine Heaven, I take 120 of these experiences and, and what they have in common uh, with, with the thousand that I've studied, and I show how what the scriptures have told us about heaven, um, these people are coloring in, and, and you see this exhilarating picture of the life to come. Right. 
as you did your research, uh, I, I can only imagine. How, how many did you say you interviewed over your over the course of all of this? Well, I didn't personally interview all of them, but I've I've read and studied about a thousand of them. Yeah, did your research on about a thousand. As you did so, I can only imagine the variety in in not only the stories, but also did you did you run across those folks who had the near death experience that say uh, of a Voltaire. Uh, or or somebody like him, where it was just horrid that uh, what they were seeing. Yeah, in fact, um, you know, most of the book is showing <laughs> the incredible uh, vision of what heaven is going to be like, according to the scriptures and what people have gotten a glimpse of. But twenty three percent of those who come forward, which people are very reluctant to come forward, one out of twenty five people have had a near death experience, but. They usually only tell maybe one, maybe two people, and they usually get weird looks, and so they never tell anyone else. Right. But of those who came forward, 23% claim they had hellish near-death experiences, and so I include a whole chapter on on that as well. Wow, that's incredible. Now, out of these near-death experiences that see heaven and all of that— what are some commonalities that you've found in all of these guys? And, I, and, and I've got to tell you, from a personal experience, I've, I've got two dear friends who've had uh, these experiences. Um, one is in his 30s. The other is in his 60s. Actually, he's pushing 71 now, I believe. Uh, vastly different people, vastly different walks of life, but the similarities are amazing. And uh, I would imagine with you... Um, books like The Saints' Everlasting Rest, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven are probably fascinating as well. So I'm in the same boat with you. I'd be fascinated to hear what some of the similarities are that you ran across that that really struck you. Well, and that's what I'm trying to do in Imagine Heaven. I don't encourage anybody to form their view of what's to come based on one or two stories. But when you see the commonalities, like... They all say that when they die, when their heartbeat stops, when their brain waves go dead, when they're clinically dead, they come alive like they've never been before. In fact, they, they, they don't realize they're dead because they, they've never felt so alive. And they, and they talk about how not just with five senses, but it feels more like they have 50 senses. Mm. And they have a body. It's a, it's a spiritual body. That's what Paul talked about, that when this body is sown you know, in dishonor, it's raised in, in honor and glory. Um, they talk about many uh, many of them commonly see beauty, um, not unlike beauty of the earth, like mountains and trees and forests and streams and flowers, but they talk about it experiencing it in other dimensions of of, of space and of time so so commonly across the globe, people talk about the colors of heaven are are of a vibrancy and and of a color spectrum far beyond what we 've ever imagined. Which, which actually, I, I, I show how that makes complete sense, because the color spectrum on Earth is the, the spectrum of the sun. Uh, but the color spectrum in heaven, according to John in Revelation 21, is the spectrum of the glory of God. God is the light. We don't have a sun or moon in heaven. He is the light that lights everything up. And when you hear even blind people talking about when they died and they they could see, and they're describing the same light that's coming out of everything in this beauty, um, like other people are describing, you start to realize, oh my gosh, they can't just be making this up. Right. Um, 
you know, and uh, another commonality is many people uh, experience this brilliant man of light who they know to be God, and those who know he's Jesus know he's Jesus. Those who don't, they don't, they don't know who he is, but they know he's God, and he is unconditional love like you can't even imagine. And, and all of them talk about how he's personal and, and a fun person to be with, and they never want to leave his presence. He knows them personally. And in fact, in, in his presence, uh, another commonality is they have a life review. They re-experience every moment of their life up until that point. But they don't just re-experience it. They have a sense of the good and, and the bad of their choices, their motives, their thoughts. It's all laid bare and what is clear to them from God is that the way they loved, the, the little acts of kindness they did, that's what it's all about. And they see the ripple effects and how it affected the people around them. It has a profound impact on people. I was going to say, have you done any follow-up with some of these folks you've interviewed over the years or you've researched to see how they're living now as opposed to how they were prior? Yeah, and I'll be honest, you know, uh, sometimes that's one of the a bit confusing things. And, it, 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 you know, it's why it took me a while to write this, um, to try to understand what's going on. And what I finally realized is that God gives us these experiences as gifts, but it's like any other gift from God. We can either see it as pointing toward the gift giver or we can, uh, you know, worship the gift or we can abuse the gift. And just because people have these experiences, you know, many of them in the presence of this being who is light and love, uh, you know, they go and they and they explore faith and um, they discover Jesus said he's the light of the world. And and, uh, you know, they they start to see that this is the God of the Bible. Other people, um, they come they come back. And even though they have a profound sense that life is is less about just me and my selfish gain and more about loving others um they don't necessarily seek god which is kind of confusing yeah. um then again but then again you think about think about it this way you know when paul encountered this brilliant man of light when he was going to persecute christians and he said who are you lord and he said i'm jesus after that blinding light experience Ananias still told Paul, you need to be baptized. Yeah, yeah. In other words, Paul still had to decide whether he was going to let Jesus be his Lord and, and show it out early with baptism. My guest so I is, think people it, it, still, you know, they still have a free will. Yeah. Okay. My guest is John Burke. John, hang on, hold that thought, and we'll come back to it. We have to take a quick time out, check traffic, pay some bills, and we'll be back. This is Lifeline. Andy Froyland in for Craig Roberts. And again, my guest, John Burke, the author of the book, Imagine Heaven near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. More straight ahead. Stick around. And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And we're back. It's Lifeline Andy Froyland. My guest tonight is John Burke. Imagine Heaven, his book, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future That Awaits You. John, uh, we were uh, we left just before the break talking about the fact that uh, there are those who will, even after uh, a near-death experience, still turn and walk away from the Lord. And as as I listen to that, I'm thinking, I don't know how you can do that. I it, it just it boggles my mind 
and you know, it, 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 yeah, and you know, they send us the publicity statements here. And it, the way I like to interview is, I like to listen to you talk and then base my questions based upon what you said. Um, some of the questions they have here are good, some eh, well, whatever. But there is one question in this sheet that they sent with your book that I, I think will direct some of our conversation here because I'm fascinated by this. Why do most people have such a boring view of heaven? And it kind of goes in tandem with this other question they've got here that uh, your personal view of heaven changes everything about their about someone's life. Uh, tackle those two for us, because I've got my, you know, I, I think we were off the air a moment ago, and we were talking about the fact that from a reform perspective, most reform people think that, yeah, we, you know, we stand, we stand with a crowd and we cast our crowns, kneel, sing grab our crown, stand up, cast it, kneel, sing, and we do that for eternity. And (laughs) heaven heaven is this ethereal place. And as I I read Richard Baxter, as I read Randy Alcorn, as I spend time with friends, as I mentioned earlier, who have gone through a near-death experience, I'm thinking, that is the furthest from the truth, and wherever that came from, it's out of the pit, and I don't want any part of it. Yeah, and you know, uh, Colossians 3 tells us, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for, for your life is hidden in Christ. And, and you think about you know, Hebrews 11, the, the successful in God's eyes, the, the, the heroes of faith. So they were seeking not a country of their own and on this earth. They were seeking a heavenly country. That's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he's prepared a city for them. And I think one of the reasons I wrote Imagine Heaven is I was trying to take a theology of heaven. Like, really, what, is, what does the scriptures, what do the scriptures say about it? And I was trying to help color it in so that people really could imagine it. Because you can't set your mind on things that you can't picture. And too many Christians today, they can picture retirement. So they save for it, they sacrifice for it, they plan for it. They'll work for it. But in reality, they're not living for the life to come, which really is, is the, the life that we long for. Yes. And I think it does change everything. And so, you know, I think one of the reasons we have a, a, a boring picture of heaven, um, we, we don't really see, uh, you know, what the Scripture says all in one place. I mean, it, it says a lot of things all throughout, you know, mm-hmm. from... Right. Genesis to Revelation, but rarely do you put it all together. I think Randy Alcorn did a, a brilliant job uh, of theologically putting it all together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a huge book, and um, many people buy it but don't get through it, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I, I, and, I, and, uh, on that note, real quick, just as an aside, uh, you, if that is you, listener tonight here on KFAX, please, by all means, grab your spouse and use it as a devotional and take your time and go through it. My wife and I have done it oh, yeah. three times already. It's yeah. So I'm sorry, but go ahead. I digress. <laughs> no, and it's and it's brilliant. And and what what I was trying to do is is take um, take that same theological picture from Scripture and color it in by letting you hear through the eyes of those who have clinically died and claim they've seen that. And and you know, you, you start to see how they're all seeing the same things, and it is what Scripture is describing. And, and Jesus said some things about it, but we just don't believe it. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and, and I will come and get you, and you'll be with me where, where I am. Yeah. 
And yet, for some reason, we really think that the place that Jesus lives is somehow less real, less tangible, less exciting, less fun, uh, less beautiful than this place. Yeah. And, and yet, the writer of Hebrews multiple times tells us that, no, really, the things constructed here were a shadow of the things in heaven. Right. You know, it's fascinating when you hear in the words uh, of, of these people who have died and returned— um, in Imagine Heaven, one of the things they commonly say is, you know, when they came back, they were actually depressed. And they were depressed because they felt so much more alive there. And they said, this life is really the shadow. That's the real thing. Yeah. And you can't even imagine that until, um, you know, it, they, they grapple for words. It's kind of like, imagine trying to explain to a flat, two-dimensional land of black and white what it's like to experience three dimensions of color. Yes. And that's what they say it's kind of like. Like we come alive, it's not different than this life, it's just more abundant life than we could ever imagine. I've always and, made... And yet I, when yeah. they come back, you know, they struggle to explain it in our, our three dimensions of time and space. I've always imagined Lazarus being mad at Jesus because he brought him back. I, I, yeah, probably. I, you know, I and I, I always imagine Jesus uh, having a sense of command, not just of Lazarus come forth, but no, I'm sorry, no, you, have you, to. you have to. <laughs> <laughs> I got to prove a point. Well, you here. know, it's fascinating uh, because, like, the spine surgeon that I that I interviewed, um, she had an accident where her kayak was pinned ten feet under a waterfall, and it was pinned there for fifteen minutes, and then she, then they she wasn't resuscitated for another 15 minutes. So 30 minutes dead. Yeah. And uh, before she was resuscitated and she talks about, you know, Jesus holding her, uh, having this life review and going down this beautiful, you know, path toward the city. And, um, and she said she couldn't write that book for years because one of the things she felt was important to say is that she had no desire and no plans to come back to her body, even though she could see it and she knew she could go back. She had no plans to because even though she loved her kids and loved her, her life, she had a great life. Mm. But this life was so much more real and alive, and, and the, it was home. That's what people commonly say it was home. Right. But she didn't want her kids to feel like she didn't love them, and so it took her you know, a decade to write the book. We've had, I've had uh, a dear friend of mine, Dale Black, has been on this program with me a couple of times. Uh, Peyton. Oh, Dale's a great friend of mine. Yes. I interviewed him. Yes. Uh, him and then uh, another dear friend of mine, a uh, young man, Peyton Jones, has been on this show several times as well. Uh, both of them have expressed the exact same thing. And as I, as I peruse and review your book, uh, preparing for our time together here tonight, I, I, it is fascinating that I, I kept running across Dale and Peyton in many pages of your book. And I'm thinking, this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. This is because I, yeah. I at the end of the day, uh, John, I, I've got to be honest. I am a skeptic. I There's a lot of stuff that I see out there that claim uh, the NDEs. And I'm thinking you're full of it. I don't. Where did you get well, this and, stuff? <laughs> have you, have you ran across? I, I agree. I agree. That, that's exactly why it took me 30 years to write it and why I don't encourage people to, to get a view of heaven based on a few stories. Right. We, we've got to start with the scriptures. I mean, we have reason to believe that God was telling the truth. But then 
we also have when, when you look across the vast now millions of of, of stories of near death experience, and I look across the the thousand I studied, you can tell a difference. There's a difference between what people interpret and what they report. Right. And so what I'm looking at is what they commonly report is biblical. I mean, right. I, I, inter- I, I talk about a study done with 500 Americans and 500 Indians, and they were trying to prove that basically the, the religious backgrounds of Hindus or Christians doesn't shape this experience. And, um, and one of the things he writes about is how you know the, the, the Hindu concepts of seeing the, the Vedic loci of heaven or the dissolution of the personal self into the impersonal Brahman, the ultimate you know, of, of Hindu heaven, that's not what Indians reported. Hmm. They reported uh, a man in a white robe with a book of accounts. They reported God who is personal and, uh, you know, brilliant light. Um, and, and, you know, for some Christians that causes them pause. They're like, well, wait a second, you know, are, are they going to heaven? Well, we don't know. And see, this is the thing. When people have these experiences, another commonality I point out, and that's why if you, if you don't look and imagine heaven, I'm trying to look across the scope of a lot of them mm-hmm. so that you start to make sense of these confusing points. So one of the things they commonly say is they came up to a boundary or a barrier or a threshold that they knew they couldn't cross uh, or they could not go back to earth. And that's what we have to remember. They all came back. Right. So this was not final death. Yeah. And in fact, in the hell chip, uh, chapter. I also show. I interviewed a college professor who was a tenured college professor. He was an atheist, and when he first died, he had he felt alive. He felt great. He had this welcoming committee who seemed friendly, but where they led him was not good. Yeah. And so, just because you have an initial experience that seems good, you know, it doesn't mean there's deception in this world. Uh, and we know it's a spiritual battle, and there are good spiritual forces, and there are evil spiritual forces. So, all right, all right. well, got to take the whole picture into account. Yeah, okay. Put a bookmark there. I need to take a break, but when we come back, let's think about this for a minute through the through the break. Uh, if if okay, you and I both have have seen some of the wonky stories that come out of these quote unquote near death experiences. If they're not true, then what are they really? So, put a bookmark there. Think about that, and we'll tackle that on the other side of the break. I have to take a time out. We'll pay bills, check traffic. It's all Lifeline here on AM 1100 KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Andy Froyland. And we're back. It's Lifeline Andy Froyland. My guest is John Burke. His book is called Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future that Awaits You. And as John and I have uh, mentioned already here on the show tonight, This is going to be a book that will help color in some of the blank spots on your view of heaven. And it is it's it's essential that we do this because, as we've already talked about, your view of heaven is going to directly affect how you live this life. Are you going to live it nominally? Are you going to live it whole humbly and and just like matter of factly and, you know, kind of uh, secondarily? Or, or is it going to be all-encompassing? Is it going to be the passion of your life? Well, how you view heaven will determine how that life is led. And I can't think of a better book than Imagine Heaven to, uh, 
to help color in. I mean, you know, uh, get the trifecta. Randy Alcorn, heaven. Richard Baxter, Saints Everlasting Rest. John Burke, imagine heaven. And and there you go. <laughs> You're set. As we left... I'm humbled to be mentioned in those two. <laughs> well, you know, it's... Uh, oh, I tell you what. You, 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 this is a passion for me. I... I I am de- eagerly, eagerly awaiting heaven, and not because, yeah. you know, I didn't get a chance to pay my bills or life is hard today. Uh, I, I'm 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 living the dream here on the, in this life. I think God's tender mercy towards me is phenomenal. Yet all yeah. that said, I can't wait to get to heaven. I I, I get, oh yeah. I you know John. Well, I, you're in good company. That's what Paul said. <laughs> Paul said you know he got a. He got a peek of it, and he said, "Man, I don't know what I, I to to die is gain. Yeah, to live is Christ. Exactly. You know, and and, and Hebrews tells us, uh, you know, for the joy set before Him, Jesus endured the cross. Yeah, it, and, I, uh, and so we're we're to do the same. It is, you know, if 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 my Savior can endure the cross because He knows what's on the other side. I, it's like, man, you know, I'm sitting here, John. I'm looking at the Trinity Alps. They're snow capped. I, you know, I'm from the north. I'm I'm working from the Northern Command here at KFAX, uh, in the beautiful Trinity Alps of Northern California, and it's I've got this spectacular view, and I'm thinking, man, that's nothing. Abs, it just pales in comparison to what I know to be true of heaven. So th- th- there's a good foundation for the question we left you with just before we went to break. We run across some of these stories, and you're thinking, how does it line up with scripture? How does it fit? It really doesn't. So what actually happened then? I mean, the fact that they actually died doesn't come into question. But the fact of what they experienced begins to come into question because it doesn't line up with Scripture. So as you've done your research, what are your thoughts? What runs through your mind? What do you think these folks really experienced? I, I've i got my thoughts, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, and... You know, I, I, I'm trying to show across 120 people's stories um, from from all different backgrounds, walks of life, and across the globe, different ages, how how many of them do line up and, and put the scriptures in. I put the scriptures in Imagine Heaven so you can see. Right. But uh, there are those who make interpretations of their experience that does not line up with scripture. And that's what I'm also trying to make sense of. So, for instance, um, sometimes uh, people will 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 say things like, um, uh, "I knew everything," you know, mm-hmm. "I knew everything." Well, only God knows everything. So, uh, you know, I sit there and I go, "Really? You know everything?" And but the, the more people I talk to. You know, the more it started to make sense of of that verse, even in Corinthians, where it says, one day um, I will know fully, just as I am fully known. Right, right. And and what what Christians that I talked to who had this experience, see, one of the things you have to understand is that time works differently on the other side. It's what Peter said to it to the Lord: a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like is like a day. Yeah. Well, when you have even non Christians saying that. You know, that they experience, and time is not, not the same as it is here. They didn't know if it was an instant or if it was an eternity. Um, so that's working differently right there. So when someone says, I, I, I knew everything, you know, maybe what it is is that uh, there, there is access to 
information or knowledge about uh, uh, about the questions of life, um, and and they seem to say that that as as fast as they could think it, the the answer was there. Right. But that's our knowledge about the questions we have right now. I mean, there's there's knowledge of God that we're going to explore forever because yeah. He's that vast and that great. I always say so that's the why there's I, eternity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's going to take that long I mean, to get one, to know him. <laughs> yeah, it will. And 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 the thing that's so amazing is that we will we will glorify and praise him forever, not like we think of, like, eh, we got to go to church and praise and you right. know, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to glorify the Lord. No. No, what they describe, um like like uh, this one guy said as he as he heard and saw the angels overhead, um, they were bursting with praise, and it, he knew he he knew that if they didn't, they would. It was like they would explode from emotion, from being so full of joy. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different thing. When when you are you're so grateful and so full of joy, and so in awe of the goodness of God that you can't help it. Um, and that's what they describe yeah. uh, in in heaven. This friend of mine, Peyton Jones, who's been on here before, he says that the best the way I could describe it is a immense pride in Christ, this overwhelming sense of joy and pride for Christ. And uh, yeah, I, man, well, this, this this one woman that I I quote uh, Sama, she was from the Middle East, grew up Muslim, um, became a Christian, and was killed in when a terrorist bomb went off in, in the church she was in. And everyone died. She was resuscitated. But she said she stood before Jesus, and he was like this brilliant diamond, you know, with light coming from, from every angle, and just holy and glorious. And all the other things of heaven were like precious jewels, but they faded in comparison to him. She said that my attention was just all on him, and uh, I never wanted—I never wanted to leave. That's what people commonly say, and I think that's what we'll realize is that all the things we think we want in life. When you read "Imagine Heaven" and you read how people experience the Lord, you realize no, He's what we want. He—he yeah. he is the center of what we want. Everything else is is just a you know icing on the cake from there. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. John, face to face. As, as, as you spent the years going over the research and interviewing some of these folks and working through all of this, uh, you ever find yourself jealous? Yeah. <laughs> you, ever, you ever find yourself going, man, I, I, I want to do this. <laughs> Is yeah, that... you know, uh, even as I, as I was finishing the manuscript. My mom was dying of eight years of Alzheimer's. It was a brutal, slow death. Yeah. And in the hospital, my sister and I were in there her last 12 days, and I had just completed the manuscript, and I read it out loud to my mom and my sister. And my mom, I don't know if she was hearing it or not. I kind of think she probably was. Right. But at the end of it, my sister said to me, I want to go with her. <laughs> And I said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> and, you know, that is that is like a, a little bit of it, of, of you, you start to realize, oh, my gosh, that is 
what I'm longing for. And there is a little bit of, of a longing. And like Paul, you know, I, I very much want to go on and be with Christ. Yeah. But then you realize the other part of it, too, because this is what's common. We have a purpose here. Right. God has us here for a purpose, and we can all fulfill that purpose. And our mission is more simple than we sometimes make it. We all want to change the world, but he just wants us to love our neighbors and our family and be faithful with the gifts he's given us. And if we will be faithful to him moment by moment, day by day, he will change the world through us. Yeah. And you really get that sense, too. So I think I think as you read Imagine Heaven and you hear their stories, what you come back with is, oh, my gosh, why am I holding back? Yeah. I want to live all out. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to sacrifice for him. I want to serve for him because I've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah. Well, brother, I, we could we could spend a month of Sundays uh, talking about this subject and, and never grow weary or tired of it. I, I am so grateful you took the time out to join us here tonight on Lifeline. The book is called Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future that Awaits You. It's uh, authored by John Burke, our guest here tonight on Lifeline. Highly recommend it. If you, if you find your your faith waning a bit, if you find yourself just kind of lost, uh, get your eyes refocused back on what matters, on heaven and where our elder brother is. And this will be a marvelous tool to help you do that. Grab a copy today. John, thank you for joining us here tonight on Lifeline. Oh, thanks so much for having me on the program, Andy. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.